Welcome to the LDN Radio Show, brought to you by the LDN Research Trust. I'm your host, Linda Elsigood. I have an exciting lineup of guest speakers who are LDN experts in their field. We will be discussing low-dose naltrexone and its many uses in autoimmune diseases, cancers, etc. Thank you for joining us. This evening I'm joined by TJ from the United States who uses LDN for a very rare autoimmune disease. Thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Could you tell me what it is you take LDN for? Because I know if I try and say it, I'll get it wrong. <laughs> yes, um, it's really helped me to work on my pronunciation and spelling. <laughs> it's called birdshot uh, chorioretinopathy. And that's what it's called in the U.S., in the UK, I believe it's more frequently referred to bird shot retinochoreopathy. And the bird shot uh, refers to areas, uh, vitiligenous areas in the retina that are obvious. That means that there are areas in the retina where there is uh, limited pigmentation and it looks like a shotgun. Um, birdshot blast, um, uh, scatter, uh, dots, uh, cream-colored dots where there is no um, no pigmentation in the retina. Uh, and then the chorioretinopathy refers to the choroid and the retina. And sometimes it's retina choroid and sometimes it's choroid retina, but it's a pathological problem that supposedly this autoimmune disorder only attacks that eye and those areas of the eye and it's considered a type of uveitis the uvea is the eyeball and uveitis is inflammation of the eyeball so it's a type of uveitis but it's a very rare type of uveitis Mm -hmm. so could you explain and, and tell us your story of when you first noticed that there was something wrong with you when was it how old were you you know, it's really interesting because um, I turn 65 next week, and um, I've always been off to the optometrist. Since I was in first grade, I wore glasses and, uh, and contacts, and, and then I had a retinal detachment um, in 1998, and it required surgery on the back of my eye, cryo, and a scleral buckle, and they said then I would need early cataract surgery on that eye, and I did. So, you know, and then it was difficult to wear the contacts, and I've always had some visual things going on. I always see the the optometrist every year even more. Um, I started noticing things probably in the late 90s, um, maybe mid to late 90s, and at this point, I'm in my late 40s or approaching 50. And, you know, it's interesting because I really like my optometrist. But they say, oh, you know, uh, you're getting older, and we can't expect our vision to be perfect anymore. But what I was noticing was difficulty with contrast. Um, if the print wasn't dark enough or if it was white lettering on black, um, this is common. Everybody in my age group was having this problem, supposedly. And then I noticed that um, if I was in a dark place, like in a tunnel, um, if I was going light to dark or dark to light, it was taking me a very long time for my eyes to accommodate in either direction. 
And um, I remember very clearly when Tom and I married in 2004, um, we went to pick out an engagement ring, and he and the salesperson had really liked this one diamond, but they said, oh, no, no, it has a funny yellow cast. And I couldn't see it, but they mm-hmm. could. And, and that was interesting because I already knew that I didn't really trust my, um, my color discrimination. And it wasn't huge, but I could tell that my eyes were not quite the same and that it was a little off in the yellows and the greens. Um, not much, but a, a little bit. And I just thought this is one more thing. So, so I think I've had a simmering case of this since maybe 1995, 2000, something like that. Um, and it was always brushed off as, well, you know, you are getting older. And um, then it will be two years ago in December. Well, well, I noticed some odd things. Actually, I had cataract surgery in, um, in 1990. Oh, let's see. Let me think. In 2008. I had cataract surgery on the one eye that I'd had the retinal detachment on. And I've had two other partial detachments as well in my other eye, so a lot of eye stuff. Um, In 2008, after the cataract surgery, I was noticing some odd shapes in my eye, and nobody could explain to me what that was, not the doctor who did the cataract surgery, not my optometrist, who I really, really like a lot, and not my retinologist, who I'd seen quite often. Nobody could explain what it was I was seeing. Um, So I just tried to ignore it. And um, then it was in December of 2014, so it'll be two years ago this, this holiday season, um, I was noticing this bubbling um, in my left eye, which is my weak eye, the detachment eye, the one I've had most trouble with. And um, and I want to add that my my vision was very good up until now, and um, I have no trouble. I, I need glasses or contacts for distance, and I can read close up. But it seemed like it was getting more challenging to read. Um, uh, tracking the lines and that sort of thing from one end to the other. Uh, but um, I, I'm highly functional. I was working and everything was fine. I'm very sensitive. If the light isn't really good, being able to see and all this is age-related, we figure. But then in December, I noticed this bubbling thing in my vision. And um, I called it my boiling bubble. And it was about the size of a tennis ball at arm's length. And it looked like a bubbling, a boiling bubble. And I couldn't figure out what that was. And I thought, well, as soon as the holidays are over, I'm going to get right into the optometrist. And I did. And um, I said, oh, dear. So let's send you up to your doctor. It could be could be um, cardiovascular. You could be having TIAs or something like that. And, and so I had a cardiovascular workup. I was sent up for a neuro-ophthalmology. They thought it was a pituitary tumor. Um, it was not. I uh, saw the neuro-ophthalmologist several times. Um, um, oh, so many things. Back to my retinologist. 
um, work up for um, all kinds of labs. Uh, I was tested for syphilis several times. I'm mm. thinking, well, my goodness, I don't think so. <laughs> but um, all kinds of lab, all kinds of lab work. It was just, uh, I don't know, 50 or more labs, perhaps a lot. And everything pretty much came back negative. I was referred to rheumatology, and rheumatology said um, I have no systemic um, disorder uh, and that I'm healthy. And I I did feel pretty healthy. Um, And then um, my neuro-ophthalmologist asked for a fluorescein angiogram where they they, uh, inject fluorescein inside your uh, vein inside your elbow and then it's timed very closely a few seconds later they start taking photos of your retina and um, when you're dilated and that test revealed that my um, my vessels in my retina were inflamed and leaking and that was the first clue my retinologist did that test and he came out shaking his head and he said you have uh, vascular uh, retinal vasculitis. You've got retinal vasculitis. He said that it's always autoimmune. It's lupus or or MS or something like that. It's always autoimmune. Uh, it's like really me. Um, and so, anyway, one thing followed another, and he suggested injecting Avastin into the vitreous, and it was off off schedule. And um. I thought, well, let me do some, let me do some research on this, and uh, so I went to clinicaltrials.gov to see who was um, doing uh, research on retinal vasculitis in Avastin, which is it's an old chemotherapy drug. It was used for GI type uh, cancers, I believe, and they found that if they inject it into the vitreous of the eye, that it it um, tends to keep the inflammation down. So. Um, when I started researching that, all roads seemed to lead to the KCI Institute at Oregon Health and Sciences University in Portland, Oregon. And I called there, and I saw they were doing research, and I called the chief researcher and said, I want to be in your research project. And he said, well, it won't do you any good because our research is on uh, um, evaluation, on um, determining the diagnostics on on this sort of thing and not on therapy. And I said, that's okay. I always learn something every time I see a doctor, something new that's helpful. And so I'm willing to be in your research, uh, even though it may not directly help me. And he said, well, you need to be seen by a uveitis specialist. And I said, well, what's that? Mm-hmm. And they have uveitis specialists there. So I got a referral and we went down and um, I was seen and have been followed at the KCI Institute uh, for over a year now. So I first started having the bubbling in December of 2014, and it took from December until July, many tests, many doctor appointments, um, just all over the place looking for anything. It took until July, seven months, for me to get a diagnosis. Um, and at the KCI Institute, they asked for a lab called HLA-A29, and that's a genetic test, and that was what was the clincher. Um, HLA-A29 is um, a gene, and um, I call it the red hair gene. It's it's not the red hair gene, but it's a pretty common gene, and it occurs in one of seven 
people who are of European descent. I guess this does not occur in the Asian population, but one of seven people have this gene, but they don't know what triggers it to become Burchard chorioretinopathy. And I did have the gene, and I did have the symptoms, and so that was the diagnosis seven months later in July of uh, 2015. And so I've been followed by the KCI Institute since then um, for this disorder. They do various tests, um, ERGs, which is electroretinography, where they can test um, how the, the microvoltage of your retina, the various cells, whether they're responding to light and dark, um, uh, advanced visual fields, fluorescent angiography, um, a, a, what's the other one? Side of green, side, I can't think of what it's called. Something green angiography, um, OCTs, advanced OCTs. I get all kinds of tests, and they've been following me. But the uh, doctor recommended when I got this diagnosis that the um, the standard treatment for it was prednisone, uh, starting at 50 milligrams. Um, tapering uh, slowly uh, over probably about three months and followed by methotrexate or a similar uh, chemo uh, drug. Uh, or um, in, It would be um, injected, I believe, uh, once a week. And I don't remember the, the dose on that, but it seems like it was something in the neighborhood of 15 or 20 milligrams of methotrexate, and that would be increasing over time. And as my doctor headed for the prescription pad, I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'd already heard about the treatment for this, and I decided that um, I'm fit, I'm active, I'm still working with uh, pediatric cases in speech pathology, cheek-to-cheek with lots of little runny-nosed kids, uh, all of whom have their fingers in their nose and mouth, and I just did not feel that I could... Uh, lower my uh, immune resistance and work with a pediatric population like I do. Uh, children are wonderful, and that's just what they do. <laughs> and I get exposed to lots of things. So I was opposed to the methotrexate, um, and I'd been on prednisone before, and I said, I'll never do that again. I've actually changed my mind about prednisone. I've said, yes, I will be on prednisone again sometime if I have a life-threatening condition, but not for this. Um, and she also offered to um, just do the methotrexate or other um, immunomodulating uh, therapy, um, and I have refused that as well. So um, that was in about July or August last year, 2015, and I have followed up with acupuncture and uh, Chinese herbs, um, which my herbologist uh prescribes and I decoct. It's quite a process to, to cook them and strain them and everything at home. And uh, I uh, did that. I continue to do that, although I've not been taking the herbs for the last several months. And then my, my acupuncturist is also a registered nurse. And I believe it was in about November or December last year, she said, have you heard about low-dose naltrexone. And I said, no. And she said, well, this is an interesting approach, and I think you should look at it. And so I did quite a bit of reading about it, and at first I thought, oh, this is way too far out there. But um, I decided, what do I have to lose? 
So I started taking LDN in uh, January. It was actually on January 20th uh, this year, 2016. And I I got the prescription from my naturopath here locally, uh, who was uh, kind of familiar with it, but maybe not too. And uh, we started out with two milligrams at bedtime. Um, I'm familiar with the placebo effect, and I always joke with my psychologist husband that all I ever wanted was a good placebo because they don't have any side effects, you know. Mm, So (laughs) I was expecting I was (laughs) I was expecting a placebo effect, and um, I took the first dose on January 20th, and the next morning I woke up. Oh, and by the way, between December and July of 2015, my symptoms increased and increased and increased. And it went from just my left eye to both eyes. And um, the bubbling was um, not only the size of a tennis ball at arm's length, but it filled pretty much the most of both visual fields. And so it became (laughs) both eyes, both fields, full fields, um, and um, a sensitivity to light. Um, I wanted to wear um, sunglasses if there was any brightness. Um, My eyes were achy and tired. Lots of different kinds of light flashes, different kinds of colors and sizes and types of flashes. And... um, but probably the bubbliness was the most disconcerting. And I, and I learned to kind of mm, look through it, try to ignore it, because I knew that what it was that was going on. Uh, and I could still drive. My vision's good enough to drive, but I didn't trust that if a deer ran across the road mm. or if something came quickly from the side that I might not catch it in time. Uh, we live in a place where my my drive to work is um, seven miles. It takes me... 10, 15 minutes, and there's not any heavy traffic, and or, or I drive, but I stay off the freeways, and I, I limit my driving, and I don't drive at night. That's the other thing, my night vision, um, they call it nyctalopia, and I have very poor night vision. And I'm fine in a familiar area, but um, when I'm in an unfamiliar area, I'm a little bit fearful because I know I don't see well. Mm-hmm. And, and this is expected to progress. And it's um, potentially blinding. Um, and by blinding, you know, it doesn't mean that you lose all of your sight, but it means you have very poor vision and probably um, a very narrow field of vision as well. And my mother has macular degeneration. And so I understand my mother's blind. She would never call herself blind. And she has a lot of difficulties. Um, but it's not like everything becomes black. It just becomes very challenging. Mm-hmm. And I understand that. So I started the LDN. Uh, the next morning I woke up and I thought, oh, this is a great placebo because the bubbling mm. was all gone. Really? Uh, the next and, morning? Yeah. The next morning. It's like, oh, man, you know, I'm such an, unbelie- an unbeliever. I said, oh, this is a great placebo. Mm. <laughs> I love it. Um, and... Um, it was gone, yeah, uh, but it persisted. And the problem has been that uh, what I was noticing was breakthrough symptoms. And toward the end of the day, um, I was having um, more symptoms after about 4 o'clock. And so I think that was about the time that I spoke with you 
and I learned that, well, you know, some people need twice daily dosing or even three times daily dosing. And so working with the naturopath and the dosing, uh, we started bringing it up to a higher level twice a day more. Um, and each time I increased the dose, it was far better. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I would... But then I would have breakthrough symptoms. And I've been keeping a journal since January of the dosing level. I created my own scale, you know, like the 0 to 10 pain scale, mm-hmm. minus the 0 to 5 vision scale that I created and labeled myself. And um, my vision had been between 4 and 5 as far as the bubbliness. And I, I listed the criteria. And, um, and it had not been at a, at a, a one, 0 to 1 for a long time. Um, but I had periods of time where I was at one to two very often and usually, but I was really trying to get it down to one or less on my scale of zero to five. Um, what's happened over time, various things have come up. Um, I had a, um, an injection, a steroid injection for some bursitis and, um, that was, um, for in my but for ischial tuberosity. And um, they said, no, this won't be, affect you systemically. But that was um, actually at a time when I was increasing the LDN, I got that injection. And I found that the LDN was working really great. And I actually lowered the dose, and I had no symptoms for over two weeks. Perfect vision. Um, I really think it was probably the added um, involvement of the um, the steroid injection, even though they said that I wouldn't notice it in any other way. Um, after that started to wear off in about two to four weeks, um, the symptoms came back, uh, the visual symptoms, and um, I was discouraged. Couldn't understand what had gone on during that time. Um, my my dosage has been increasing. Um, I had a, a dental problem where I had to have oral surgery uh, in September. And once they talked about what I was going to go through, I stopped the LDN, anticipating that I was going to need um, some um, uh, painkillers. And uh, <laughs> my my symptoms came back with a vengeance. They were really vivid, uh, full field um, while I was off the LDN. So I know that it's working, um, but the problem has been, and, and since I've been back on the LDN, I was off for about three weeks during the dental problems. Never really needed any pain medication, but I was afraid I would. Um, I've been back on the LDN, and currently I'm at a level where I'm uncertain if I should take any more. I'm on three times daily dosing. I take five milligrams at bedtime, which is usually about 11 o'clock, and four milligrams uh, upon rising in the morning around 7 or 8. And then in the afternoon, between 3 and 4, I take, I take another four. So that's a total of 13 milligrams, um, 5, 4, and 4. And um, I don't have good um, advice here. We live in it's the state capital, but nobody really knows about this. And I don't feel like I have uh, good medical advice. I have a prescriber, but um, 
what I'm finding right now, I'm I'm discouraged again because my symptoms are are breaking through, and inconsistently. And I've kind of said, well, I'm not going to take any more than this, and nobody really knows how much I should be taking. Mm-hmm. But but my dosage level has been creeping up. The good news, though, and it's really excellent news, is that after um, being followed at the KCI Institute for a full year, I've had testing three times in the last year, um, even though my ophthalmologist there, my uh, uveitis specialist, said that I would expect to uh, be functionally blind within five to ten years uh, because this is a progressive disorder and I have a moderate to severe case. Um, I have had no decrement in my vision mm. in a full year. That's good. Yeah. And, and I consider that a huge, a huge win to have had the last year of my life uh, when I'm still working, uh, where I have not been on prednisone, I have not been on any immunomod immunomodulating therapy, and my vision has not decreased. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but right now I'm satisfied, but I'm I'm also a little discouraged that I have some breakthrough symptoms. Okay. But I'm going to continue with it. Mm -hmm. Can I say something? Um, Sure. Of all the different doctors and patients that I've spoken to, you are the first person I know of who's been taking LDN three times a day. I've never heard of three times a day. Yeah, right. How would you feel of experimenting and going back? Because I know there are doctors out there and patients who take it twice a day, like 12 hours apart. Yes. How would you feel about going back and just doing it twice a day? So you're not taking those receptors Yes, I've 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 considered that, but I don't have any any knowledgeable person. <laughs> I have a prescriber, but I can't say. Even though he's working very well with me, I can't say that um, I have anybody very knowledgeable who's working with me on this. And it has occurred to me to reduce the dose. Um, uh, so, but I'm not quite sure where to go with that. Mm. I mean, if you did it 4.5 twice a day, your body wouldn't see it as nine. It would only see it as 4.5 twice because it. I understand. It, yeah, it's gone before the the um, next one. But yeah. maybe we can right. talk about that, and I might be able to come up with some um, suggestions for you, Doctor White. Need a, I need, need a plan that way. Thank you. Yes, um, but what I was going to say as well, um, I've got MS. I've had lots of visual problems. Uh, also, I find it very hard for my eyes to adjust in the dark backwards mm-hmm. and forwards uh, with with light. Um, I also have to wear sunglasses in a supermarket and things because mm-hmm. the light is too bright. Right. I I have migraines. I don't have bubbling eyesight or, or anything mm-hmm. like you have. But mm-hmm. if I go from light to dark too quickly, it can set mm-hmm. off a migraine. I'm just wondering mm-hmm. if that bubbling causes really, you know, severe headaches, migraines. You know, I have some interesting medical history. I used to have migraines, uh, and they were really bad. Um, After menopause, those have pretty much faded away. I haven't had a migraine in maybe 10 years, or if I do, they're very mild. Um, So um, I do have a history of migraine. Um, My triggers were usually um, sleep, 
uh, disruption or foods, um, the typical things. Um, so, but you're right, um, and and there are the big stores where they have intensely bright lighting grocery stores and here in the US Costco type warehouse stores where the lights are very intense um they they really bother me after about 5 or 10 minutes i've not worn sunglasses in there but i try to limit my um exposure in those stores and my husband's been shopping with me a lot lately uh and helping me because uh, i get in a store and i get more bubbly and it, it just makes me feel mm. very weird uh not a headache but just very strange sometimes light maybe lightheaded and um and then it becomes very difficult if you're trying to read labels or something like that it's almost yes. impossible mm-hmm. and i'm a label Sounds. reader so yeah so i have had that the, the other thing that's interesting in my history besides the retinal detachments i had a full detachment with cryo and a scleral buckle on one eye and i have had two partial detachments on the other eye which also had, had just um laser repairs um and i had trigeminal neuralgia in uh i believe it was 2007 which um if you're not familiar with it is a, a horrible pain disorder a neurological disorder um i had it on my le- everything seems to be on my left side on the left um third branch the jaw branch where i would get these terrible um uh, electrical shock type pains that would just leave me very disabled uh and that went on for about 6 months um the first half of 2007, um, in three waves, um, I, I was I was really disabled by that, and then it kind of went away. Um, I, I can't help but think that these things might be sort of related, and I've asked that question. I said to my uh, doctor, I said, "What are the odds that I would have a rare disorder like trigeminal neuralgia on the left side of my face?" And then, um, uh, less than ten years later, have birdshot uh, also on, well started on the left side, but it's both sides, uh, which is even rare. I said, "My my statistics professor would tell you that these things have to be related." Mm. And my doctor said, uh, "They're." both autoimmune and 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 so i'm suspicious of everything now being autoimmune including my history of migraine and and other things uh uh, and i understand that people like myself with birdshot um have about a 25 percent of having another autoimmune disorder as well So they they seem to go hand in hand my my husband refers to autoimmune disorders as isis um, it's like a guerrilla group, and you may suppress it in one area, and it'll crop up in another where you least suspect it. <laughs> okay, so if we let Tom have a have a talk. Well, I've heard my name, Thomas. I'm a doubting Thomas. I like to see the data. Um, I've done research a lot of my life. I'm mostly a clinician, though, and and have created programs. And so one of uh, in in mental health care. And so one of my things that I try to do rather well is observe differences and changes in people and while they're going through something, and in this case, LDN. Um, and I really, um, I, it, was, it, was, it was noticeable uh, rather immediately. I wasn't quite sure when she took the medication and what to expect. However, um, it surprised me and surprised her as well, I believe, that 
she was immediately reporting a change improvement in the the uh, primary symptoms so i thought well if she did this could just be a fluke or a placebo or something like that uh strong suggestion but then you know this persisted and and uh, for me um uh, knowing whether something is working or not is if you stop it um, certainly blind tests are the best uh, research design test that's blind but in 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 this case she had some other dental work done there was going to be uh, there were going to be opiates involved so she stopped the medication and um, went through the dental process and one morning I was watching her I bring her coffee in the morning to kind of <laughs> nudge her toward consciousness and uh, I could tell she was distressed and uh, I s- said uh, what's happening and she's not to lead her but she said um, uh, the symptoms are back um, said, what do you attribute that to and well I'm not taking the LDN of course mm-hmm. and uh, so the the period of pain passed around the dental work and uh, she resumed the LDN mm-hmm. and symptoms uh, I think have uh, have uh, gotten gotten better uh, back probably back to the original effect um, I worried a little bit you know there's with antidepressant medications and I'm not an expert in this but I, I hear a lot of discussions around uh, if an antidepressant is working and you stop it and then you come back to it later it doesn't it doesn't help uh, there's a name for that phenomenon but I can't quite remember it, but uh, so I was a little worried that that may happen. Um, what I have noticed too is that TJ's happier, friendlier uh, to everyone. She's not as cautious. I uh, we walk around the neighborhood, and uh, I'm kind of her guide dog, <laughs> and and that uh, that actually has shifted a bit since she's been on the medication. She walks the neighborhood. By herself, if I'm busy or gone, she actually gets out and has made friends with all the uh, the neighbors' dogs, and uh, so there's there's more independence. Um, and uh, but it, when the sun goes down, uh, things shift a bit. Um, I don't think she's a vampire, but <laughs> but uh, but but there is a there's a definite shift in her ability to see, which which is true of a lot of us. I mean, it's as you age, you, it seems like uh, the the optic nerve and all the apparatus don't function quite as well. But uh, and, and I and I really don't want her driving after after sundown. Mm-hmm. Uh, we live about as far north as you do, so so our days are very short in the winter time. So her, her her driving is restricted in the winter. So I, you know that's something. I have to attend to, and I'll drop her off and pick her up, or, or just wait mm-hmm. uh, for her. But uh, or run the errands that she would have run. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 as far as the medication goes, um, gee, lots of things have improved. You know, the whole thing of hope—that something that has no or hardly any side effects could actually be beneficial and reduce or remove a symptom set. I mean, well, how much better can it get? It's just incredible. And, and I think people, TJ, my wife, responds to that with joy. It's a joyful outcome, mm. which 
makes me feel better, of course. And uh, uh, it's not as uh, not a gloomy affair. It's it's a rather rather exciting, actually. And, and it's not a drug that's that's um, on a blacklist or in a uh, you know a, a cancer-causing sort of problem or, or or those drugs that really are are very uh, dangerous if you take them over time. Mm-hmm. Thank you both very much for sharing your experience. It was <laughs> quite an education. Yes, thank you. Any questions or comments you may have, please email me, linda, L-I-N-D-A, at ldnrt.org. I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for joining us today. We really appreciated your company. Until next time, stay safe and keep well.